Welcome to the Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we're back for what I think is our final uh, podcast in this run of coverage for Mad Men. It's the season seven wrap up. Is that uh, our final podcast? No, no, no. In this in this little chunk, you know, we've got some plans that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But uh, what are we going to be covering in this? Uh, well, first of podcast? all, I want to get a little personal, a little sappy. Oh boy! You know, uh, I want to thank everybody that's listening to this. That's that's stayed tuned after all the the main coverage is over. And Mad Men is one of our very first shows we covered on the fledgling bald move Empire, and it means a great deal to me. Um, it easily could have been our first. You know, if if you've listened to our backstory, you know that we kind of want to do Mad Men. And then we screwed up the timing and then we kind of wanted to do season one of Walking Dead. We screwed up the timing. We finally came uh, through on season four of, uh, of of Breaking Bad and the rest is history. But, um, you know, Mad Men was one of the first golden age of television shows that I'd seen. And it's the one that I probably connect like I, we're going to talk about how this relates into the Pantheon and whether it's our favorite series of all time later. Uh, spoiler alert, it's mine. <laughs> um, but we'll okay. talk about that more later. But the podcast itself has also been one of the most consistently intellectually stimulating and also funniest pad- podcasts we've done. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of remarkable okay. that we could go from these like really airy discussions of philo- philosophy about literal literature and, and cultural significance. And then we go like almost slapstick humor with the peat pit. And all that stuff um, yeah. in a single space of a single podcast, because that's what Mad Men could do as well. Yep. You know, it could have Lane Price punching out Pete and a few episodes later swinging from his door and you got the highest of highs and lowest of lows and nothing felt, you know, I remember I, I one of my favorite, some of my favorite episodes of the X-Files are like the silly ones, like the pizza delivering vampires. <laughs> Um, but those always felt like it's something that's outside the X-Files main canon, you know, the ghost story, uh, episode, whereas Mad Men could do this and it just all still felt like Mad Men and that's really special. And it's something that I don't, you know, Breaking Bad mixed Mad or mixed, uh, humor and drama very well as well. But again, the just the way it could go all over the map and still kind of feel of a, of a whole, I thought was interesting and is really liberating uh, to podcast a show like that. And we've had so many really smart and funny people too. I mean, I think about all the people have written over it, uh, written to us over the years, the uh, advertisers, children of the fifties and sixties had an escort, uh, Mm -hmm. gay men and women, comedians, professional artists, housewives, husbands, fathers, mothers, even people who work for McCann Erickson right now. It's just been a really amazing experience. And, you know, we don't, we famously take out all of like the quote unquote dick sucking, uh, the like, Hey, love your podcast, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I want to comment, you know, take this time to say, even though we cut it out just because first of all, we don't have a lot of time. We have so much email to read already. And also it's just really awkward and I'm kind of self-conscious 
to read people like congratulating us all the time. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say that I really appreciate the constant stream of positivity and respect for what we've done here in the podcast. Uh, this season, we were like either number one or number two on iTunes TV and films ranking. And if we were number two, it's because our Game of Thrones podcast was number one that week. <laughs> and that's all due to yeah. the listeners. It's it's you. You guys have got us to this point. And yeah, we can't do that. No, uh, <laughs> we tried on another podcast. It didn't work so well. You need you need listeners. You need people to support us. Uh, and I again, thank you so much for for all of the the kind words we've gotten this this week. Um, I was surprised. Usually, sometimes these wrap up casts can be a little daunting to come up with content. Mm-hmm. Thirty forty pages of feedback, and again, wow. I can only read. 12 or so of those okay so, and the, the the ones that killed me the most are people that sent in like really in-depth treaties about what peggy meant to them or don meant to them and i always try to find a couple paragraphs as like the core but these are just so well re- uh, researched and so well reasoned so well articulated that like I couldn't just take a part and talk about it. And I couldn't say, well, it's what do you, what do you think about the concept of Peggy? You know, that, that would have any of their words. And yeah, yeah. but I read it all and it was all super interesting. I'm going to try to get back to a lot of those people that, that didn't make it. Um, I've already gotten back to some that didn't make the first cut, uh, but I, I still really appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned all the different types of people who wrote into us, um, you know, on, on a show that encouraged a lot of different, uh, a lot of thought on a lot of different subjects. And that's the thing I guess that I take away from Mad Men and my time podcasting Mad Men that I didn't, that I don't get on other shows. Usually, you know, it used the time and it used the era to contrast with what we uh, feel is normal today and how we've progressed since then. Sure. And really make you think about those issues. Think of uh, minorities and uh, think of, you know, how people are treated and families and what that means. And, happiness and what that means and like all of these questions that this show brought up were bigger than a lot of questions that television tends to deal with yeah i feel like that's one of the things that made it really really a standout in this golden age of television yeah and you know for two guys in their 30s in the midwest it's impossible for us to have the total perspective to appreciate this show and that's where you guys have come in uh with your emails every week and your comments on our facebooks and our forums and all that stuff uh, you've really helped us round out yeah. The coverage. Yeah. There, I mean, so many of even just the references, you know, even those small things. Sure. Um, but, but, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned we're a couple of dudes in our thirties. I feel like this show doesn't, wouldn't resonate with me if I was in my twenties, if I was 25 watching this show, uh, even though, you know, I miss a lot of the stuff that is specific to the sixties and the seventies, but I think people in a certain time of life start to ask themselves these same questions mm-hmm. that a lot of these characters are asking themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes it even more interesting for yeah. me. Yeah. No, and that's Mad Men's been interesting because I've gone on this really in, weird journey. Like when I first started watching the show, I just gotten divorced. I just, you know, left this really high control cult uh, group. And now I'm a podcaster of television <laughs> shows. Uh huh. That's a real Eve. Dick Whitman to Don Draper. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there's not very far you can extend the analogy, analogy with me personally, but um, it's been in. It, I've been on a life's journey at the same time I had Mad Men watching, and I think that's also yeah. you know kind of lightening the bottle for me in the golden age of television. I've had that same experience where 
my life experience at the time of watching it can't be separated from Mad Men and Breaking Bad and The Wire, for example, um, yeah. and how much those mean to me. So uh, something that we got yesterday on Memorial Day that's completely blown away by uh, Tom Wilson, who has edited 25 episodes of Mad Men. He reached out to us and he said a bunch of stunning things. One, that he was a fan of our podcast and had been listening for several years. I was like, okay, had no, I mean, we've always (laughs) joked about what if the wiener heard this or what if some, you know, but but Mm -hmm. the fact that someone that actually, you know, matters in the scheme of the production of Mad Men was listening to our podcast completely blew me away. Astounding. Sure. Yeah. Like I texted you and I'm like, stop what you're doing right the fuck now (laughs) and look at this, look at this email that just came in. Um, Two, he has spoken personally with Matthew Weiner. And has shared some of the fan theories and observations from this podcast with him. And Oof. apparently Matt was got a kick out of it. Now, right. I know the next the, the, the burning question in your mind uh, is, did he tell him about the wiener stuff? And no, he wisely uh, mm-hmm. decided not to share our little personal nickname with him. But, you know, <laughs> the wiener, it was always something out of respect. Like, before we were doing the podcast, every single time it would fade to black and go created and produced or whatever, by Matthew Weiner, mm-hmm. we would sit there uh, in, in my living room and be like, ah, that wiener, he he's done it, it to us again. Yep. He's done it to us again. And it's a sign of respect that, uh, I don't know, I can't argue that calling him the wiener is a sign of respect, <laughs> but it is. No, no, no. It it's, is. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of an in-joke, but it's also, yeah, you know, he, he became a, a figure greater than uh, a man to yes. us. You know, kind of like the Villigan. Yes. You get a reputation where... You consistently deliver over and over again, and you become the wiener. It is. And, and he's, you know, stood on the, the, the shoulders of giants working on Sopranos, and the fact that he's able to take that ball and move it a little bit further down the line in this golden age is just remarkable. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Tom graciously offered himself up as an interview subject, which, you know, we don't do a lot of celebrity-type interviews, but we love talking about the kind of below-the-line guys about the uh, meat and potatoes of how this show is produced. And we accepted instantly. I don't know. He's a busy guy. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be this week. I don't know if it's going to be next week. But we're going to have a a podcast out soon uh, with an interview with him as soon as we get our schedule together. Now, if you'd like to think of questions that you'd like to ask him through us, send those in to madmen at baldmove.com. I'm going to post an IMDb link to his resume so you can get an idea of what episodes he was on. But just to get the ball rolling, I know he edited the finale, person to person. Uh, as well from this half season, Severance uh, and Time in Life. Other standouts as I was looking through his resume that jumped out to me were A Day's Work, Crash, that's the one where everybody in the office gets high, The Other Woman, Lady Lazarus, The Suitcase, uh, Guy Walks into the Advertising Agency, that's the one where a guy's foot gets ran over by the lawnmower. Um, Okay. I'm really – I can't wait to see what it's like to be an editor – on this show and what you actually start off with, how much Matt was involved in the process and, you know, getting that, these symbols of scenes and getting those onto the the screen for us. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. We've never actually talked to an editor before. No, we haven't. It's going to be exciting. Uh, Also, I want to talk about our expanded coverage of Mad Men seasons one through seven, something we kind of hinted at last week. I'm going to start rewatching season one in June, and I'm going to commit to having a podcast for season one in its entirety out at the end of that month. 
Then we'll do season two in July, season three in August, so on and so forth. I'm going to also like a week or two before we record a podcast, send out a blast on Facebook and on the forums and on Twitter, you know, letting you guys know if you want to send in some comments and commentary. Uh, if we get some, great. If not, we'll just do our own personal thoughts. The one thing I want to do is like, this has been bugging me, uh, is to come up with like my definitive, which is my uh, season is my favorite which episode is my favorite. Mm -hmm. And the way I want to approach that is like, I'm going to get done watching season one. Season one is my favorite episode of Mad Men. Then we go to season two and we argue about, is it better or worse? Same thing. Pick an individual episode. That's the best episode for a given season. And then put that gladiatorial style, you know, NCAA bracket style head to head. And then by the time we're done with all seven seasons, we'll have, we'll have the answer to those. Okay. Are we going to talk at all in this podcast about what we think currently? Uh, that's the next thing I want to do, get to. Um, but the other thing I want to do is also look at standout moments that seem, you know, we've already talked about a, t a ton of them because, you know, AMC helped us out by having this marathon. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of, I'm sure there'll be some standout scenes that will, now that we've seen the whole picture, will be, you know, more relevant or more interesting. And I, I really want to pluck those out and say, you know, what are the bones of Mad Men? You know, what is everything hanging on? So I, I, I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to that. Okay. So, uh, again, be watching Facebook and baldmove.com and Twitter uh, and the feed. Keep the feed active because we'll be dropping these once a month. And we still got the, the interview with Mr. Wilson as well. Uh, one thing I talked about last week was I wanted to go through each character and judge them okay or not okay. Do so, you're get... talking about the end of the series. Are they going to be all right? Yes. Do they get Roger to cradle their face in their hands and say... <laughs> You're okay. Gotcha. Don Draper. Okay, not okay. Not okay. Why do you think he's not okay? Uh, I kind of spelled it out last episode in my my somewhat pessimistic take on the finale. I think he goes back to McCann. He repeats the cycle. He comes up with... He he synthesizes his experience at the, the uh, cliffside retreat there into the Coke commercial and... Does what he does at McCann. All right. I agree with you. I just want to spin off. And like I said in the previous ep uh, episode, I think the key is he learned to love himself. Okay. Also, I think previous season Don's would have not listened to Sally, would not have listened to Betty, and would have done what they think they needed to do in that moment, come back and cause a bunch of chaos in their life. Yeah. The fact you can't run away from a situation where people are saying stay away from. So this felt ultimately different because he was allowing, even though this is offended to his ego and his personal image of what a father should do, he recognized the truth of the words and respected that. And I think mm -hmm. that's also a sign of true growth and progress. And also, again, in my head canon, he goes back, you know, he spends the next year or two being a better father in the week, you know, getting him for the weekends, not blowing him off for the holidays uh, mm -hmm. and, and he's going to work out an arrangement between him and Henry and Sally that he'll be more involved in the boys' lives. Okay, everything you're saying is adding up to he is okay. He is okay. Okay, I don't know how you agree with me then. I said not okay. No, I agree with every one of your interpretations of fact. <laughs> he is going to go back to McCann Erickson. He is going to write the ultimate coke ad. Okay, he's going to do. He's you, just going you to put the optimistic stop layer. doing all the bullshit. All right. All right. Uh, Peggy Olson, okay, not okay. Uh, Peggy Olson, okay. I don't know if her and Stan are true blue forever and ever. 
But yes, she is I think going either to be way. fantastically successful by her own definition. Uh, and yeah. I think that's, we got that. Like, you know, when she laid out her, what she wants to accomplish in life and Don was shitting on him, she's like, you know, fuck you. This is what I want to do. Yeah. And I think she can accomplish that. I mean, we have seen her being unhappy in her home life. And I think Stan could be the final piece to Peggy's puzzle uh, of happiness. Yep. So I think, okay. Pete Campbell. Okay, not okay. Ugh, man. God damn it, he's okay. He's okay. I hate it, but he's okay. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's right? the biggest shock. I feel like the last couple of episodes, they turned him so 180 that he might actually be okay. The last few episodes serve as a plausible moment of clarity. Yes. Like, you, every... Every person you meet that's been clean and sober for 20 years was a raging alcoholic or in the throes of drug addiction at one point in their life doing crazy things to get to the next day. And you'd never at at that moment, you'd never say, oh, yeah, this guy's going to get himself cleaned up and be, uh, you know, a model businessman or husband, a father. But they they sometimes do. Mm -hmm. And. I feel like Pete had a moment of clarity where all those things were Don was saying about, you know, appreciating what you have uh, and you don't make the same mistakes I did. And and seeing this man that's, you know, 10 plus years is his senior make these mistakes. I think he finally realized what he needs to be happy. Yeah. And he had he had a run there where he was, like you said, emulating Don. And it was not working out for him at all. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's not as smooth as Don. He's not as attractive as Don. He's... And how much trouble can you get into in, like, what is it, Wichita? Yeah. How much trouble can you not, get into Wichita? Not that much, right? There's not that many prostitutes willing to crown you king <laughs> out there, I don't think. Probably not. Probably no. wrong. I'm, probably, I'm sure there's plenty of prostitutes <laughs> They're in all going to write in next week. <laughs> uh, wait, next week. We don't have a show next week. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's okay. The Crash Tom's interview. There you go. All the, the, the whores of Wichita, they must be heard. <laughs> Uh, Betty Francis. Well, not, not okay. okay. I mean, <laughs> long term, yeah, not okay. Short term, like, yeah, kind of okay, you know. Yeah, in the few days that she has left, I you think. know what? We were we were we we've been watching True Detective because we're we're gearing up. And by the way, if if you want a reason to stay with us, our summer schedule includes True Detective and Fear the Walking Dead. Uh, yeah. there's big contrast in styles and themes there but oh, yeah. we've been watching a lot of season one to get our our season one coverage prepped and russ said something in i think is episode three is episode two he's like after these many years i know who i am and there's a victory in that and i feel like that applies to betty too sure you know it's 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 too bad that it's literally at the at, at the the end of the tunnel for her mm-hmm. but she knows what she is and she knows who she is and where she stands in the world and what she wants out of it and she'll be okay for six months and then she'll die you know we didn't really discuss this during the last podcast but do you think that betty's uh sudden diagnosis has that similar effect on don that don realizes hey there's an end to all this and i need to figure this stuff out i think so because that's you know it also ties in with his kind of gut punch with the Rachel deal. I mean, all these women yeah. that he's been involved with dying of cancer before their time, you know, yeah, I, I do think that that's one of the way that's one of the reasons that I can say that with fair confidence that I think Don will be okay. 
that right. you know he he has seen the light. Okay. The best things in life are free. Who else you got? You're gonna ask me about plus, Harry at some point. Plus, Betty will die, and then he'll you know like he'll have the ghost of Betty Draper slash Francis mm-hmm. to set him straight. You know, he's right. he's now got the ghosts of his brother, a tap dancing Bert, and mm-hmm. and Betty speaking Italian. Yeah, you you, you can't go wrong with the, that kind of co-piloting. Uh, Sally Draper, man, I honestly felt like she was always going to be okay. Yeah, you know her parents were trying their damnedest to fuck her up, but she's tough. But she's too strong for that. Yeah, I felt like she was too resilient, too strong, too. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, too mature for all that stuff. My only worry for her is that it's great of her to be the mother for for Bobby and Jean, but that is also a weight that a girl her age shouldn't have to bear. I agree, yeah. And I'm I'm worried that that is going to rob her of some of her youth that she could probably use to you know go off and do other things. I hope she doesn't do yeah. something crazy like not go to college so she can be with them or you know i hope she goes and she lives didn't her life go to such. spain right yeah because i think you know speak i don't think he's on our list of okay yeah he is actually henry francis yeah. um i am a little worried about him and you know the boys saying that he's really withdrawn and throwing himself into work hmm. you know after he okay. lost his fight but i don't We've always assumed that he'd be good because he's been almost saint-like in his patience with Betty and the kids so far. But yeah, that's the, I'm I'm a little worried about that. Mm, so I Henry, think yeah. I want her to be okay, but I'm not I'm not as sure. If Don, all right, if, I think if, she's okay. If Don pulls his shit together, then yes, I think she's un, uh, she's okay. If he go if 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 Don goes on another bender and keeps on going like he does, and she's left to be the mother of these children mm. without his support at all. I don't know. Not okay. So if I believe like you believe, she's not okay. If I believe like I believe, she's okay. <laughs> so, all right. Not a great argument to believe how you believe there, Jim. <laughs> Joan Harris. Okay. Not okay. Joan Harris. Okay. You know, I mean, she wants something more out of life, but I don't know that that's going to get to her. And she's willing as... to make sacrifices to get it. Yeah, and uh, I, I thought, don't know. This, I thought the Richard thing was a big test for her. It was, and and she clearly made a choice there. Yep. She she got what she wanted. She could have pulled out the accordion and played a song, made everybody happy. But <laughs> she, she she stuck to her guns. This is what I, I want to do. Forgot about that, man. <laughs> it's a deep cut. It is. Uh, yeah, I I think she's okay. Roger Sterling. Yeah, he's probably gonna die soon, but he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I is a relationship as combustible as his and Marie's sustainable in the long term. Like I get it, it's cute, and they in in the the newness of the experience of a woman that's that's like that strong and powerful and that can like stand on the stage with him mm-hmm. is novel and and fun and and uh it, it very entertaining to him, but five years of that because Roger's not gonna change. Marie's no. not going to change. No. They're not the type to just let each other be. I don't know. I yeah, see a lot I'm, of him storming to... out of bedrooms with uh, comforters draped around his waist in his future. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, whenever she gets a little insecure about what she's going to do when Roger leaves her, Roger's going to the couch. Or when, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, again, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of leaning not okay with him. Hmm. Yeah, I, 
He's made know, no man. sign. I mean, other than wanting to provide I mean, what for is his son. Lo- what does being okay look like with Roger? Good question. Roger's kind of okay with whatever happens to him, isn't he? That's true. The only thing that's really thrown him is the death of his mother. Yeah. And yeah, the that fact that Joan him. kind of played hardball, like he just assumed he'd be a part of his son's life. She's like, no, you're an, you're, you're an unstable, unreliable asshole. <laughs> that's true, yeah. So he's kind of okay from that perspective because he does seem like he is finally willing to do whatever he can for this little boy uh, on Joan's terms. Like he's like kind of like what I hope Don comes back. Like I get it, I get it. I've been okay. terrible, yeah. But I want to do what I can, and you tell me what that is, and that's something that he can build some trust, and maybe he can be a part of the kid's life going forward. Still, yeah. I'm leaning not okay. It's a lot mm-hmm. of drugs, a lot of strain on a man's heart. <laughs> well, I mean, eventually everyone is not okay, right? <laughs> well, I mean, no. You I mean, can how- die happy. You can die old and happy. That's okay. But you're going to die. Like, that that's my thing. Like, Roger doesn't seem to get phased by too much. All right. So I can't imagine he won't be happy, you know, won't be okay until the day he dies. Ken Cosgrove. Okay, not okay. Uh, Ken. Ken. He's not doing what he loves. That's a problem. I think he, pa- he fails the Joan Harris test. He was given the opportunity to do what he loved. Yeah. Or to act out of some petty, spiteful impulse. <laughs> and look at the the type of guy he is in the last scenes we've seen him are not do, do not seem like a happy guy. He seems no. like he's rushed. He's like ultra competitive and this. That. I mean, maybe he really enjoys and thrives on that. But you got to I got to think that um, a man with two eyes writing novels would have been happier than the guy who got his eye blown out by the 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 car execs. And now he's yeah. not going to write. I think you're right. I think not okay for Ken. Which is a bummer, because he seems like a good dude. Well, he turned into a good dude, yeah. But he turned <laughs> his back on it. He turned his back on it. Sure. Harry Crane. Not okay. There's no world in which Harry Crane is okay. <laughs> uh, his arteries are clogging in that, that <laughs> as he was plowing into the, the cookies. Oh, uh, they are. They are. He doesn't make it down the elevator. <laughs> well, no, the elevator goes out. He doesn't make it down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, not okay. Stan Rizzo. Yeah. Okay, not okay. Uh, Stan's okay. Stan's always okay, man. Stan is okay. Yeah. He's good in every hood. He's cool in every room. Just give him a joint and he is okay. He's he's going to be fine. Like, yep. Peggy could break his heart. He'll eventually be okay. Yep. His, 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 he's, I can define him by his okayness. Uh, Megan, formerly Draper. I don't know if she goes back to Calvay or what. Oh, man. I'm going to say not okay. I mean, she's got a million bucks. But her acting career is kind of fizzled. Yeah, she went a little crazy. She's at she yeah, and in this 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 career is brutal to women, man. Like oh, uh, yeah. I was just watching, I've been watching a lot of Amy Schumer of late, and they had this funny skit where Julie Louise Drivis was celebrating her last fuckable day. Uh, if you don't, it's like if you if you're not discovered to have a breakout in. You know, like there's only so many Carrie Coons in the world where it's like you're kind of come out of nowhere in your 30s and take over the world. Mm, yeah. And Megan's back in the 70s, where that's even less true. Mm-hmm. I feel like she fucked up. Now, Don had a big yeah. hand in that, but like she missed her boat and she's still, I mean, she's still being kind of billed as this starlet. Like yeah, this... I'm, I mean, I'm not placing blame necessarily no, on uh-huh. her. I'm just saying she's not going to really be okay. Yeah. Going forward. I mean, she does have a million dollars to her name. Yeah, but I mean, if she really wants to act, 
and that's the thing that's going to make her happy, then I don't know that that's going to happen for her. What do you think she... Roger made it seem like Megan was really okay with her and uh, Roger hooking up. Yeah. If she is that okay and like kind of measured about it, then maybe she is okay. Hmm. And again, she's got a million dollars, so it's not like she has to act or maybe she can be a painter. Or she can start a ballet studio or she can do, she can be the, the uh, high strung artiste that, that she's wanted to be. I don't right. know. Maybe she'll, uh, maybe she'll hook up with, Joan and get a movie made during from her production company. Ooh. <laughs> she could be the spokesman for Harris Holloway. Funded herself. There yeah, you go. Why not? We're going to talk about Henry Francis. Final one, Michael Ginsburg. No, not okay. You don't think there's some lithium in his future? There's some Lexapro? There's like the right amount I of chemicals there's... he could get back? Because the man's a genius. And he's a he's a good he seems like a good guy when he's not talking crazy. Cutting his nipples monolith off. Monolith stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think he's okay. Okay. I think I think you pump a bunch of lithium into his system and he just gets worse. <laughs> All right. Dark, dark. Uh, I kind of suspect. I mean, he's he's one nipple down. How okay can he be? Yeah. Rest of life, no no nipples. Uh, let's talk favorite season. This is a tough one because you know, it, it it's something that uh, you said to me when we were recording the last podcast where I said, "Man, I don't know if it's dumb luck or what, but I've been dropping in and out of this Madman marathon as I've had time and I've I've been working on other things. I turn on the background. Every single op- episode has been like an all-time great and you're like, "Well, the luck would be if you spun the roulette wheel and you <laughs> ended up with the shitty episode of Madman." Yeah, Man. yeah, cuz there's so few of them. That is pretty impressive. We I mean, I can't think of any bad episodes of Madman. I can't either. Not I, a single one. Like Breaking Bad, you know what I want to say, of episode course. 213 ABQ is a really bad episode for me and it made me really angry and still kind of mad to this day. Season five, the wire, lots of stuff, not to like mm. in that mad men. There's a couple episodes where I'm like, I'm not sure where he's building to this, but if it doesn't go anywhere, I'm going to be upset. And then it always, always went somewhere there. Mm-hmm. Maybe season two. I remember Don waiting off in the ocean and I watched that and I just thought, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> but I don't know if I, you know, that was me six years ago. Going back, I there's none of those episodes that re, that that I had a problem with. They were just kind of weird, and I wasn't sure what they were trying yeah. to tell me. And mm-hmm. maybe, uh, I don't know. All the Bobby Barrett stuff is really interesting and really good. So m- maybe even that one. I mean, that's if I think of seasons, that's certainly always going to be at the bottom of my list. But I yeah. don't know. I recall there being an episode very recently. Um, that we didn't like. Uh, I think it was the one that starts out with the fur coat and Don's looking at the woman, and we we were just like, "What the hell's going on here?" Sure. At the end of it, uh, so like I I wouldn't give it to season seven anyway. Yeah, I mean, no, no, even no. even if it was didn't have that misstep in it. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I think my favorite is probably season five. Uh, that still had Lane Price around. You know, that was the culminated in the death of Lane Price and the mm-hmm. Phantom and mm-hmm. we had Jaguar in the mix and mm-hmm. Pete Campbell was still grimy Pete. He was more grimy Pete than ever. Oh yeah. There was a fist fight between Lane and yeah. Pete. I I mean I liked Lane as a character a lot. Sure. Um and I I would say that season five is probably my favorite specifically because I can't really remember much of the the series before that. Mm-hmm. Like I I think we started covering it in season four. Might have been five. 
Maybe it was five. Um, but everything before that I marathoned to mm-hmm. get through. And it's been four or five years since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I always go to season three because I think that was, it felt like a bounce back year. Like I was kind of like confused about what season two is all about and how it ended and what mm-hmm. this means for Don. And it started it's like, you know you shift from like Don being this awesome dude and like, Oh my God. I mean, I, I remember that there's a Saturday Night Live skit about how like everybody wanted to be Don Draper. Mm-hmm. And then season two, you started to question like, man, maybe Don is not got the world by the, 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 the scruff and he's not just leading it wherever he wants to go. Hmm. Uh, but season three felt like a big bounce back with culminating him stealing the firm from the Brits. And, that that you know i call it a heist that whole heist arc was so as you see it unfolding and you realize what's going on and there's a lot of like crowning moments of awesome about don's contract and lane price having to fire these guys it's just really great and a very satisfying almost oceans 11 very old school cool way yeah see that's the way i feel about um the chrysanthemum and the sword right that particular episode where he steals the honda contract from teddy and right his firm uh, I felt like it was very like Ocean's Eleven type stuff because uh, I I really I don't remember season three at all. <laughs> you do uh, so. The other thing is I feel like there's a very before Megan Draper after Megan Draper divide for Mad Men, hmm, and okay. my gut tells me that I'm going to prefer the stuff that came before Megan Draper to after. And in fact, like yeah. I really liked this last season and this this last finale was way more optimistic and hopeful than I ever thought we'd get. And I understand some people think it's crushing cynicism and despair. Oh yeah. But still I kind of think, I wonder what Mad Men would be like if it ended at season six. Season that six shot ended with, with him the, taking his kids with to the his Hershey's house, right? speech with the Hershey pitch and then culminating and then taking him back to Hershey and showing him where his, his childhood whorehouse. Yeah. Uh, and the look that he shared between Sally uh, and and himself, Don, so great. So great. Yeah, and you could almost believe in a little bit of growth there, too. And you could write any kind of finale. You could write any yeah. kind of future for those characters that you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Whereas everything, even though it is kind of ambiguous, we talked about you could read it a lot of different ways. There's a lot of people's futures. We absolutely know short term what's going to happen. Yeah, I think so. So, I, I, you know, again, season seven on balance, I think, is really, really good, and I'm glad we got mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Uh, but the, the final moment of season six is just so great. Such a great moment. I agree. So I don't know. Well, I, I think we're, I'm going to have to wait to give the definitive nod and all that to uh, after we get done oh, with yeah. our seven podcast seven season coverage. Yeah, I got it. That will finish I up go in watch. early 2016. I think. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, uh, I, I have to go back and watch the original few seasons. All right, let's see what the fans have to say. Mitch in said, "My first thoughts on the ending were pretty mixed. I did enjoy how the Wiener wrapped up all the characters, but I really wanted to see just a glimpse of Don with his kids, maybe just a cut, just a taste, or possibly getting rid of the last shot of Sally washing the dishes. That just seemed too mm. bleak for me. I've agreed with Aaron that his relationship with the children is his most important connection." I just thought it merited a more obvious clue that he did in some way step up and be the father that his kids and more specifically his sons needed. Like I kind of spoiled my thoughts on this, but I feel like that he did by agreeing to Sally and Betty's plan. That was the kind of stepping up that he could plausibly do. 
Yeah, he had to step out of the picture in order to step Like, up. if Don had left everything and left the Bonneville Flats and come right home and, like, come here, kids, and hug them, would you really feel confident that 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 this is going to be something that the kids needed long-term? Or is no, he going to take really. them out of a stable situation and then introduce his own boozing and debauch? I mean, it's to me, that's as, almost as... That's almost more cynical than him being like, okay, I'm going to take the long... I have fucked up. Mm-hmm. I, I need to own my sins. I need to pay penance. Yeah, I mean, penance. it hasn't it hasn't worked out the, the times that Sally has been around him, staying at his apartment and such. Mm-hmm. She's seen some pretty horrible things. Uh, I don't know that it would, it would be any happier in the future. This is a pretty uplifting one. Doug L. said a lot of emailers wrote in feeling bummed that Don would essentially turn his personal growth inward towards itself to co-opt the touchy-feely messaging uh, and sink back into an advertising downward spiral. There is evidence, however, to suggest the end is not so bleak. One clue is in the history of the song itself, I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing, was indeed developed to sell coke. But after the jingle became popular, it was re-recorded as a full-length song, and all the lyrics, references to coke were dropped. This version goes, I'd like to build a world a home and furnish it with love, grow apple trees and honeybees and snow-white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing a perfect harmony. I'd like to hold it in my arms and keep it company. I like to see the world for once, all standing hand in hand, and hear them echo through the hills for peace throughout the land. I find that the lyrics about holding in my arms and keeping it company of particular significance to Don. As such, even if you believe that Don is using something good and perverting it, history says the song was eventually wiped clean of the corporate stain and re-released into the world as something pure. After all, he ends the episode greeting a literal new Don. And just because something is mass-produced and corporate does not make it necessarily evil. After all, a Hershey bar can still be both a commodity and the only beacon of light in a dejected boy's sad, solitary world. Does that change your all mind right. at all? The fact that the song was later decorporified into a message of optimism and hope. Is that something we can read into? I mean, clearly... I'm not going to say you can't read into it. Matthew I, I Weiner like has, has spent a lot of time thinking about this end. Oh, yeah. And he's no. got to know all this stuff too, right? Yeah, you bet. Uh, I bet somebody else knows. His name is Tom Wilson. <laughs> we can find out. We'll see. <laughs> I, I see what they're. I think Matthew Weiner had this big curtain, and there was like flames and green smoke, and you could, you mm-hmm. know, you, it's the great and all powerful Oz. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if if there's some kind of. I, I'm I'm probably going to ask Tom this, but I think uh, I I don't know that a lot of people who create these kinds of shows want people to have a definitive answer. And I think Matt, Matt Weiner falls into that group. I, I scoffed because I thought so too. And then he gave an interview, which we're going to talk about here in a bit. Oh, he did that. It was this thing, the one and only interview, uh, where he kind of made it very definitive. His oh. view of it. All right, cool. I'm interested to hear I, that. Yeah. I'm not sure what I think about that. Uh, Doug also has another note. He says, as a side note, the hilltop ad was filmed in Rome, Italy. Perhaps since Betty speaks Italian and she probably died around the time the commercial was actually being filmed, perhaps there's an implication that Don made this a subtle tribute to her. Think about mm. that. Mm. <laughs> this is for you, Birdie. I mean, I think I, I don't know. I think it's reaching, but that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> uh, Catherine S says, unlike you and a lot of other people, apparently Betty has been my favorite character since season one, oh episode two. Oh my god! Two. Really? People are quick to point to uh, incidences and declare that she's a horrible mother. Mm -hmm. But I believe these people forget that we're looking at just slices of her life. 
Betty has made mistakes with her kids, just like most of our own mothers. It's interesting to me to see all the scenes that people overlook. In the beginning, Betty was a typically stern but loving 60s parent. She regularly referred to Sally as sweetheart, hugged the kids, and related to Sally in the ways that she knew how, showing her about makeup, talking to her about boys, and even telling her, you're very important to me too, and Sally's having a hard time with baby Jean's arrival. Is Betty a saint? No, but her intentions were never to ruin the lives of her children. As Betty's life became more hectic and she became disillusioned with her life and marriage, their relationship with the children suffered. She told Helen Bishop that without Don, she felt like she was floating away. I believe season four was a very difficult emotional time for Betty, and we see her react with a quick trigger temper. But she did come around. Just like Don, I believe Betty has a difficult time believing she was loved. She asked Henry, why don't the children love me? She's noticeably shocked when Sally runs to her and hugs her after she quote-unquote becomes a woman. And Betty returns the display of affection by lying down to Sally and being very kind and open with her. People like to pick out the gumdrop incident as a conclusive proof that Betty is terrible. And yes, Betty did mishandle that. But how many men in Betty's life have scarfed down their meals without a second thought to her? In season one, Don invites Roger for dinner against Betty's wishes, and she has to eat lettuce because there's only enough steak for two. I think it hits her hard when, after she has gone out of her way to her comfort zone on a field trip for Bobby, he still doesn't consider her, trading away her lunch without a second's thought. So she concludes by saying, the viewers see that there's more to it than that, but I believe her perspective is emotionally limited rather than villainous. Do you think, Jim, that we have been too hard on Betty these low many years? I mean, I can only go by what I remember, and what I remember is a horrible, horrible person. Up until uh, pretty recently. It's interesting that going back and watching like season one and season two Breaking Bad, it changed my perspective on um, Skyler. Yeah. And I would say that Betty certainly was more fully redeemed by the end of this series. I'm very curious. It's one of my things I'm 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 really looking forward to is to go back and actually see, you know, in, in Skylar's case, I actually chalk it up to like, I think the Villigan wanted us to hate her and things were written, filmed from that perspective, yeah. uh, making it very hard to to sympathize with her. It could be the same thing with uh, Betty, but I'm curious to see. You know, I'm going to be watching for eyes like, is January Jones good? And is Betty Draper a good character? Yeah, I mean, there's potentially selection bias. You know, I hear sure. about, oh, how the these horrible things that Betty does. And I get a, an image in my mind of horrible Betty. And that's all I'm looking for. And also, this is Don's story. So we only going to get to see the things that are good and bad that impacted Don. And at the late stage of their life that they're at now is mostly bad things because Don is being a bad father and a bad husband. So you always got that to, 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 to hang your hat on. If you're a Betty supporter, that Don is arguably worse. (laughs) That Betty does a lot of good things. We just don't see them. That. And that also (laughs) the Don, I mean, that's a stretch, but, and we've talked about, you know, active neglect or, or passive neglect versus active malice, which is worse. Sure. Um, yeah. But anyway, moving on to Philip R. I actually enjoyed the uh oh okay so this is the thing this is this is kind of like I'm an impersonal indulgence which I hope you'll allow Jim. Uh I asked a question about where did the uh baby gene warlock thing come from from the yeah, Mad yeah. Men recap podcast we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. He says I actually joined the happy hour after the Mad Men recap went defunct. I enjoyed the banner between Dr. John quote unquote Ham and Paul quote unquote Giamatti live from the Brooklyn studios but I must say you guys do a great job too. The baby warlock Eugene reference comes from a memorable season three episode. Guy walks into an advertising agency. 
which our boy Tom worked on, and also saw, saw a man get his foot cut off with a lawnmower. Mm-hmm. In this episode, Sally has trouble sleeping and is distant from baby Jean. This is, of course, upsets the Betty monster, but Don tries to be more comforting. Betty eventually tries to comfort Sally by giving her a Barbie doll from Eugene. Betty insists that the gift is really from Eugene, but Sally notes that the baby could not have written the card. To this, Betty replies, Well, we know that babies have fairies that can do things for them. Don then comes home later that night and finds the Barbie in a bush by the front door. He collects the doll and puts it back on the shelf facing Sally's bed. Upon seeing it, she starts screaming hysterically. Don calms her, but she starts up again when Betty brings the awoken Eugene into the room. Don learns that Sally thinks that because Eugene has the same name as a recently deceased grandfather, she's actually a ghost. Don and Betty then get into a fight about the name. Uh, so a lot, a lot, a long story short, uh, ghost baby Eugene with his entourage of fairy minions is the origin of the baby warlock meme. Understandably, this beast story in the episode is just a bit over- overshadowed by the guy from London getting foot cut off by the John Deere riding lawnmower. Uh, yes. And I thank you for clearing that up because I had a lot of people write in. We have a lot of Mad Men recap fans that have joined us either after or maybe they, they listened to it. And also I have some news on that. I reached out to Dr. John and asked him if he'd be interested in participating in our post-Madmin coverage. And we haven't come up with anything definitive yet, but he said that, yes, they're very interested. So cool. if you are a Mad Men recap fan, you might be able to get to hear Dr. John and uh, Paul right here in this podcast talking Mad Men with us. Sweet. I would love to see that as, as a huge fan. So thanks for clearing that up for me. I still am not clear on the Warlock reference. Do okay. Warlocks? I don't know anything so, about so, Warlocks. Well, Warlocks are male witches. There you go. That's it? Yeah, that's all you need. So I think that okay, the, co- sure. the subtext is Betty, uh, uh, Sally threw this Barbie away outside of the room, and then it comes back inexplicably. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And he's, she's got this army, uh, he's got this army of fairy helpers, and he's that's a resurrected warlock from of her grandpa, Jean. I think yeah, that's, yeah. it's all. So it's just a general hint of magic. Yes. There. And, and if then, you want to know the exact and the origins, baby Gene is responsible for the doll, and therefore sure. he's the witch. Sure, go by, go Slash look up world. the Mad Men podcast episode for a man walks into an advertising agency, and I bet they lay it all out. Probably so. But it's super funny. It's the the most random of the references, and I, you know, I, I'd start listening to them in like in season four. So I started working my way back to try to figure out when's the first fucking time they did the baby warlock, and I couldn't do it. So. Hmm. Uh, Lisa LL, as I like to call her, Trip L, our senior black correspondent. As I devoured every Mad Men related thing I could after the finale, I came across some things I didn't know. I think you all know of Pete uh, Campbell as a rapist because you call him Rapey Pete. But did you know that both Vincent Carthizer and Matthew Weiner claim that Pete is not a rapist? Carthizer huh. says the script called for the all pair in a souvenir episode to kiss Pete back. But the actress didn't want to kiss Carthizer, and the scene <laughs> read as way more of a rape than was intended. Wow, okay. All right, maybe that's why we think the way we do. Why the wiener let this happen is a little mind-boggling, because it gave Pete haters a valid reason to dislike the character and be disgruntled with Campbell's happy ending. Mm-hmm. So, I want to talk about this a little bit, because I am not a big fan of these meta-narratives. Like, I don't give a shit what... Someone that made the, the directed Game of Thrones episode wants me to believe about a sex scene with Jamie and Cersei. Sure. I don't really care what 
what Vincent Carthizer and Math Wiener says is supposed to happen in a scene. Mm. All I can judge is what actually happens in the scene. What made it onto film. And or... and if this is true, then it's the bad it's it's the odd case of bad job Matthew Weiner because what made it to the screen is a hell of a lot darker and not consensual based on what he wanted to happen. Now sure. it could be that Vincent was just taking a lot of heat in the media and he's already, you know, I imagine playing it. I've seen, I think his name's Jack Gleason. No, it's not Jack Gleason. Jesus Christ. That's the guy from the honeymooners. No, I I think it is. Is it? I think that's his actual name. Yeah. All right. The kid that plays Joffrey has said it's very, very tough to play a character that everyone hates because even when, even when people are saying well-meaning things to you, it's always about you're just a shit. You're that, a bastard. I hope you die. Thing. Like you're Aaron Paul and people are yelling, yo, bitch at you yeah. across the street. That's tolerable, you know? Yes. People are coming up to you and saying, I hate your guts. Yeah. All day, every day. Like, That's and a gun. Rough, and man. a gun. You, you, yeah. you wear mom jeans and you're dumb and you should get that. That can wear on you. And clearly it did because she wrote a whole op-ed about yeah. why do people hate Scholar White? Uh-huh. It could be because uh, I, I remember the first time I heard Vincent Carthizer speak, he was giving an uh, interview with Terry Gross and talking about what you know how he was kind of the villain for season one of of mad men so this is like from the very get-go mm-hmm. maybe he just said that like i it just it's it i'm with i'm with trapel here it boggles my mind that yeah. that would be something that just allowed to happen or the actress calls an audible because she doesn't want to kiss vincent carthizer who yeah, i've been I mean, told is can... a dreamboat <laughs> when he's not in his pete persona sure when he's not got the comb over uh no i mean so they can say what they want right but ultimately what's on screen yes and i i agree if they wanted to say that they should have said it with the the visuals of the show let your lips do the talking if if you if you want to try to you know have some kind of fig leaf of consent in this scene uh she also wants to talk about race for the most part i respected the fact that race was not a part of the story that matt weiner wanted to tell in hindsight weiner's reluctance to integrate mad men into a fully developed african-american character Seems like the show's greatest misstep when you consider the fact that African-American Billy Davis was part of the team credited with writing the very Coke ad used to symbolize Don Draper's greatest triumph, Hmm. which I didn't know before, but I actually read the article about this. And yeah, he was a big part of the whole creation of that. She concludes black people were definitely a part of the same world Don was in. I mean, it does feel like... That is a valid criticism that Mad Men didn't do as much about race and even when you're talking sexual identity. They just really scratched the surface of what was all there and available in the 60s and early 70s. But it's also hard to say that Mad Men had to be everything to all people. Like, it couldn't be a social commentary about literally everything in America. It couldn't be anti-war and you know, pro-civil rights and pro-gay rights and anti-pollution. And, like, it's like, you know, pollution's bad. It made a, you know, it kind of made you, it's like, oh, huh, when Betty, you know, fucked up a, a state park or whatever they're at and Don threw a beer can <laughs> in a creek. Yeah, yeah, It's like a passing thing, but it wasn't what the main narrative is about. Did, yeah, it's certainly not a part of the main narrative. I mean, there's nothing in there that's part of the main narrative except for Don's journey, right? yeah. Um, but I, I felt like they were starting to go that way, and then they just kind of backed off. So that's what, like with Shirley and Dawn, I thought they were headed in that direction. You and 
Lisa LL are on the exact same wavelength because she continues that Weiner had said the characters of Betty and Joan were much smaller parts until she saw January Jones and Christina Hendricks and realized the character's full possibilities. Hmm. I wish the Weiner had found the black actor who made him curious enough to explore race as he did feminism. I think the actress who played Shirley sparked something in the storytelling, but it was too late in the series to develop it. I agree with that. I thought Shirley was by far the most interesting person. Like I like Dawn, but Dawn always felt like kind of just another secretary. Yeah. She, she didn't feel like she had any real ambition or drive. Whereas Shirley had like a fire to her. And Dawn didn't pop until we met Shirley. Now it could be that you just need, you need to have more than one person from a particular voice to bounce where, you know, like a support network. of Yeah. You have to give a context because if, she just goes into Don's office, Don does, and says, let me tell you about the struggles of being a black woman in the 60s, Don. He'd be like, get the fuck out of my office or go get me coffee. Whereas if mm-hmm. you can see those two yeah. kind of – like if there was not a Joan character and your other person in the secretary pool, what would we think about Peggy? Sure. Peggy is kind of it defined her character too, yeah. about her conflict and com- camaraderie with Joan as much as she is about her relationship with Don. Yeah. So they were kind of fighting that battle with one hand tied behind their backs for most of the series. Yeah, and it might just be a case of oh, we we got into this too late. Yeah, and I it's it, it's a missed opportunity, yes, but also it's fair to say it wasn't in his mission statement either. That's probably true. Yeah. Uh, but thank you for all your contributions you've made uh, over the years. James V said, just in case you've seen this or haven't seen this, Matthew Weiner has spoken. As far as who created the ad, Don or Peggy, Matthew Weiner says it was all done, and then he elaborates in this interview that he gave uh, the day after oh the finale. He said, "Let's hear it." The idea that some enlightened state and not just a co-option might have created something that is very pure was an attractive way to end the series. Matthew Weiner said, "To me, it's the best ad ever made, and it comes from a very good place." So not only did he definitively state that Don wrote the ad, but he says it is a something an enlightened state and something that's very pure. Now, that's not okay. as open and shut as in saying Don is fine, Don. But yeah. it's kind of more than I wanted to hear. I guess. I mean, I, I knew that that hug with the refrigerator man was honest and pure. Uh, it's just a matter of what you think Don's going to do afterward. If I'm just saying if David Chase can do pull the shit he did on Sopranos and then drop the mic and never pick it up again. Yeah, you want him to do the same. Yeah, because I feel like this is already less ambiguous and but not but just as interesting of an ending. I don't think it needed uh, the post. I'm kind of with with uh, Bill Simmons on that. I you know, he says I, I Bill has been talking a lot about how he's hating the this like these victory laps that creators are making after shows off or off the air. Hmm. Um, okay. that, or even, even when a season concludes, it's like, or if there's an especially, uh, dramatic episode or a controversial episode, he's like, just go away. You made the thing. Let us have our reactions to it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm mostly on board with that. I think there are some things that creators should probably clear up if people fundamentally misunderstand them. Yeah. Um, like, but I, I don't want the creator necessarily to tell me what conclusion to draw from it. The things I like to hear from a creator, what are his influences? What is in his heart and mind when he's making this stuff? Uh, the actual process, some 
alternatives that they'd considered. Like, I love hearing that. Like, well, we thought about the writer's room mm-hmm. with the going this way, but we ultimately went this way, and here's what. I like hearing some of the whys. Why they make the choices. I don't make, like yeah. hearing the what's and the who's and the where's, especially when mm-hmm. you make something that's kind of ambiguous and open to interpretation. Yeah. Like, if you wanted to do that, have a scene of Don going back to McCann Erickson and, you know, <laughs> make it up. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Not a big that, fan. That's fair. Josh P has a few quick observations. First of all, the scene where Joan says at least someone's timing was right to Roger feels like it could have come after Richard had said goodbye to her, but it didn't. Could this have been a mix up with the editing? Shots a fired. Mix up with editing. Shots fired at the editor of this episode. Like, whoops, we stuck this in the wrong place, or like they just didn't consider it at the time, because I seriously doubt they just accidentally placed it where they placed it. I think it was, I mean, I'll just go without saying, and, and despite what Vincent Carthizer says about Rapey Pete, it should go without saying that I don't think anything gets to our television without Matthew Weiner really thinking about it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you do put it after the breakup with Richard, this makes the scene more about Joan and Richard than it does Joan and Roger. The way it came before all that, it makes it seem like, you know, two mature people saying we could have had something, but the timing wasn't there and I'm not bitter about it and I'm I'm happy for you and you're happy for me. Putting it after the Richard breakup changes that chemistry of that scene, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I think it definitely would. It sounds to me like you think it gives Roger a little bit happier of an ending with the placement it has. I don't know. It makes Joan feel like she sounds more regretful about Roger going with it post breakup than it does before. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if it gives Roger a happier ending or not, but, but it also, they come, they come to some kind of terms there. Yeah. Uh, in that scene. And if you're saying, well, what's going through Joan's head is all about Richard, not about Roger, then it can't really, you can't have that moment between that pure moment between Roger and Joan. Yeah, I agree. Because again, so it uh, takes something away from Roger's side of the equation too. Yeah, it's harder for me to put my finger on that part piece of the aspect. Well, but... it felt like that's what that scene was for, right? Not, yeah. not to say necessarily anything about Joan. Um, other, other than like, yeah, she they had this relationship. It didn't go where they wanted it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that that scene is more, in my opinion, for Roger because mm-hmm. it's the last time we see him. You yeah. know, it's. That's Roger Swan's song. He's going out, leaving his stuff to his kid. Um, and I, I think it diminishes it if Joan is thinking about another person at that point. Yeah. And we as an audience know and that. I, I don't want to feel like Joan's pining after Richard or feel like he's the one that got away. And that's yeah, that's, that's if that's I really true. zero in on it. Uh-huh. Changing a post Richard makes that line real more rueful than You're wise. Right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's that's the comment on that. Uh, He says, secondly, I love the visual of Don, a man who always runs away when he feels confused, trapped, or scared, being at a location where he's literally at the edge of a cliff on the other side of the country that he Mm. just drove across, and now he can't physically run anymore. (laughs) He could swim. We've seen him swim. That's true. He could go (laughs) north, head up to Seattle or Alaska. But yeah, I like that too. That's interesting. Yeah, he's like a lemming that just didn't have the courage of conviction to jump. (laughs) Uh, finally, and I may be reading way too much in this. Why not? 
Why not? That's what we do here on the happy hour. Mm-hmm. But I feel that everyone's story in the end represents a part of Don's soul or a point of his life where he faced the same decision in a relationship, but this time things end up for the best. Oh, for boy. example, Pete chooses to reconcile with his wife and regain the life that Don once told him he was missing as Don had done with Betty. Roger choosing to be with Marie represents Don choosing not to be Dr. Faye and instead marrying the much younger woman. Dr. Faye was a fellow professional who in many ways was on his level and he didn't want to uh, and didn't want the hang up of a family and kids. Sally, who's faced with a horrible situation, chooses to step up and deal with it responsibly instead of running away as Don would have done. I like that a lot. That yeah, these are essentially alternate Don, these are alternate paths that Don could have taken in his life. Which makes me so think So does that say anything about how happy these people are going to be? Yeah, may, if I look at through that lens and I want to say that everyone mentioned is okay. That was my lens I was holding up. By the okay. Way. Yeah, I could, I could see that. It's an interesting idea. I like it. All right. Mildly interesting even. Hey, this is going to be the last time I get to tell uh, a lot of you about how you can support Bald Move. Well, hopefully if you're sticking around Bald Move, it won't be the last opportunity. But uh, something Jim just worked on recently, we can now accept credit card payments, not just PayPal for Club Bald Move. So if you've been waiting on that, you've been leery about uh, the grimy little pimp that is PayPal, the grimy <laughs> little PayPal. Uh, go ahead and, and use our cart with confidence now that we got Stripe and SSL security and all that good stuff. Uh, it's a great deal. For as low as a buck a month, you get video releases of all our podcasts, which in many cases can get you to podcast hours in advance of its release. Uh, you can get the Lunch with Jim and Aaron, where it's a weekly session where you can interact with us and, and hang out in our studio with us. Uh, you get ad-free podcast feeds, so you never have to listen to me pitch another product or pitch another way to support us again you can just like set on autopilot forget it vip access in the forums a lot of cool stuff if that seems that's like just what you get right now there's a lot more coming there's a lot more coming if 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 that seems like too much of a commitment roger then you can also support us by buying us things buying us nice cool gifts by going to amazon.baldmove.com and actually you're buying gifts for you yes that we're getting our beak wet because we got the amazon.baldmove.com. The bald move in the middle of the of, of the dots does does all the business. Mm-hmm. Because what it does is it redirects you to Amazon. And instead of Jeff Bezos getting to keep all that money, like he needs it. Like he really needs it. Mm-hmm. We get a tiny fraction of his profits. Yeah, you wouldn't give money to Roger, would you? No. What is he going to no. do with your money? No, if you could, if you could take five cents out of every paycheck that Roger gets from McCann <laughs> Erickson and send it to Bald Move, wouldn't you? Of course. Wouldn't you? Course. Roger would do it. Mm-hmm. He might have to get coked up or LSD to do it, but he would do it. Mm-hmm. Amazon.baldmove.com lets you make Jeff Bezos your personal Roger <laughs> Sterling. That's exactly, yeah. That's exactly what we're saying here. And it also sends us love, and it keeps us going. And that's 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 what we're looking to do. We want to keep keep banging out these podcasts uh, for your enjoyment and uh, help us help us cobble these shoes together. We appreciate it. Louis R. said, when you guys talked about the cactus and how their baby would be approximately five years old, either I heard it wrong or you guys added wrong, that baby was born early on in either 1960 or 61 if memory serves making the boy at least 10 years old yeah i fucked that up peggy had her kid at the end of season one that was 10 years ago in showtime i don't know what the hell i was thinking i was all caught up in the whole cactus womb analogy and (laughs) i I just went with it man i just went with it all right you know you make mistakes when you speak on something for hours at a time 
You know, <laughs> off the cuff, <laughs> or even five minutes. Uh, we've debated a lot about are there teenagers watching Mad Men? You know, I seriously doubt it. Well, Jesse K, an eighteen-year-old, would like to disagree what? with you. Why are you watching Mad Men? Does does he or she say? Well, uh, I don't know. Jesse is not a. It's spelled with a, a masculine okay. uh, uh, spelling. All right, well. So tell me why. Tell me why you watch Mad Men. In his own words, the show as a whole has had a massive effect on me. I've always enjoyed film and media, but it was Mad Men that first introduced me to the complexity and art of television and film and how powerful of an impact it can have. It's truly an example of how sometimes it's more about the journey than the destination. It's inspired me to take filmmaking classes in high school and to pursue a career in huh. critiquing and or teaching about film. It is and probably will always be my favorite television show. Wow. I gotta say, Jesse, you seem like a kind of dude that I would have loved to hang out with in high school. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I'm kind of jealous of you because I think this is going to be something so cool when you're in your mid-20s and when you're in your early 30s and your late 30s. This is something you can visit again and again and again and get huh. something new from. Whereas I've just got to go through the lens of my... Uh, you know, early onset senility memory that like, you know, what it felt like to be a teenager and go through some of these experiences and what it felt like sure. to be a child. Um, that's cool. Cause I think this is a series that definitely can grow with you. I think so. Yeah. Um, I just felt like watching it. It started at an, at a later age. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like maybe, can grow maybe with you've you, been watching this in real time. Start with like eleven. He started with the, when he's eleven. And, oh and, yeah, and watch that. Who like, was letting you watch this when you're eleven? <laughs> I, man, like <laughs> the books that my mother and father let me read because they just assumed I was reading books and how much. But I oh, mean, yeah. yeah. Honestly, my mom should have like not cared so much about the doom and cared a lot more about some of the other shit I was reading. <laughs> some of the really subversive, fucked up shit. Uh-huh. And it's made me the interesting person I am today. So rock on, Jesse. He continues. Uh, he wants to talk about his favorite episodes. These include The Suitcase, The Better Half, Lost Horizon, Tomorrowland, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, The mm. Phantom, The Crash, Shut the Door, Have a Seat, Faraway Places, The Strategy, The Wheel, The Monolith, and Waterloo. These include scenes that will stay with me forever. Yeah. The Wheel was the pitch that hooked me. Waterloo taught me that the best things in life are free. The Strategy showed the reconnection of two friends as one of my favorite songs played. Faraway Places gave us Roger tripping balls. The great heist that pulled the rug out from under the Brits made me giggle and cheer. Ken tap dancing as everyone ran around on amphetamine <laughs> was perfection. The Phantom showed us that life's, uh, Don's life is truly cyclical. And The Suitcase, my personal favorite, showed Don fully open up to Peggy, something entirely new to him. Yeah, that's a strong, strong list there. Strong, strong resume. Yeah, Mad a Men couple fandom. of them that I really liked that weren't on that list. Uh I like commission and fees, commissions and fees a lot. So when, Lane's death. Shocking. It was shocking. Because uh, I remember covering that, and a lot of people were talking about the death. Nobody called Lane Price. No, and the the way it came about, you know, with him just uh, writing this check that he got found out, and Don fires him, and Don's trying to talk him through it. Like, Giving this him is the, the hardest draper. moment. It will all get easier. Yep. Uh, I mean, I really like Lane Price as a character, and... Seeing him go out was rough for me, and it was also an exciting episode. Yeah. Uh, so that's a good one. Another one that I really like that I think is overlooked a lot is At the Codfish Ball. It's the first time that Roger and Marie hook up. Um, gives them the old blow jay in the back room there during the awards show. Yeah. Uh, I really like that one. I know. Nope. It had a lot to do with, like, Sally coming on this 
this awards trip with him and you know she's scarred by it at the end similar to Poor similarly Sally. to how she's scarred in My season God. six with sylvia she had so many like, adult <laughs> situations yeah if only she could see the content warnings that come on before Mad Men, she would know <laughs> oh shit adult content i'm mm-hmm. just going to skip this episode you know one thing i'm you, you, we we talk about that the, the lane price moment the one thing i really miss now that we're doing all this instant cast stuff which is you know, obviously really successful for us in terms of traffic and, and making fans happy on some of these other shows. I used to be able to watch in real time uh, oh, yeah, yeah. people on Facebook and like forums and stuff. And and uh, I miss going into the commercial breaks and, and doing that. Um, yep. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't go back because, again, like you look at the traffic numbers are our Game of Thrones instant cast. But I do miss it. I do miss it. It sucks. Yeah. You know, you have to make sacrifices. Things you got to do for your <laughs> career. Bill from Houston said, rate the missed opportunity on a character-by-character character status update basis. These are characters that didn't get a mention about their future. Hmm. These are the ones we didn't say okay or not okay. Sal. <laughs> oh, man, when's the last time we saw Sal? The last time we saw Sal, he was checking in with his wife from a payphone in Central Park and about to go and get some rando in a bush. Things were heading to dark places for him. He'd just been fired. Yeah. I, because he was sexually harassed. It's, incre- it's incredible. And the fact that we never saw him again is still kind of shocking to me. It is. I really uh, thought that something with Bob Benson or something this final season, something. Man, I think probably not okay. Yeah. Like he. <laughs> I don't know what it's like for a gay person during that period, but it can't be good. Not good, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> not good you're right you're right <laughs> pete knows exactly how it is uh yeah I, i'm gonna say not okay for him teddy chaga yeah teddy's fine yeah he's a sheep teddy's happy you know he's he's in the pasture yeah he's just gonna check his brain off he's gonna let someone else drive he's gonna fly around the country doing whatever he does He's going to five years from with now. His, he's going to cash out and be with his college sweetheart, right? Right as rain and fly around the world and get yep. in all kinds of adventures. Uh, Dawn, she just mysteriously disappeared yeah, this season. Dawn is such, and she's such a kind of a sketch of a character. Like she was there she to be awkwardly with... hugged during the ex, the assassination of Martin Luther King, and yeah. to have Peggy be waspy racist to her in her apartment but she was she was strong resourceful intelligent mm-hmm. uh it seems like she'll be fine but i again it's like i feel like i have a better handle on a shirley character than i do dawn yeah she i i don't know it didn't feel like we got any real ending for her yeah so. that's a bummer yeah freddie freddie rumson he stay clean and sober? Is he gone no, pissing his pants? What? He's gonna still. He's gonna keep drinking. He's gonna keep pissing. No, he stopped gonna, all that. No, he stopped all that. He got cleaned yeah, up. He was, sure. He stopped that. Like Don was ghostwriting for like him. Don stopped abusing women. <laughs> Come no, on. I think Fred. I think Freddie be okay. Bob Benson. Man, Bob Benson. <laughs> he got turned down hard. Went to GM. I feel like he's not gonna be happy there. Well, so I figure, man, is Detroit a better or worse city to be a gay man in the 60s? The New York, probably worse. Does does he decide that he goes, does, does he continue to go beer hunting? 
beard hunting? Is he trying to find his Joan? Or no, does he I'm, go I'm the confirmed that... the bachelor kind of like millionaire playboy yeah. Bruce Wayne slash Liberace ladies man on the surface, but he's he probably got a raise after that incident with uh what's his name? And money can, he was in money, jail. if nothing else, can afford you a lot of discretion. That's true. And if you're living an unconventional lifestyle in a society that judges you, discretion counts for a lot. Discretion can buy you a lot of armor for you to live your life the way you want to live it and keep it under wraps. Unless Pete what Campbell seems like spots a miser- you at a whorehouse. What seems like a miserable way to, lo- to live. I mean, that was kind of me through my mid-20s. Yeah, I was a Jehovah's true. Witness, but I really wanted to watch rated our movies and see what yep. the world is about. Like, I don't want to... You don't have to be sneaking around to do the stuff you want to do. no. That's a that horrible existence. That fucking shit is corrosive to your soul, man. Yeah. Wearing yeah. a mask to everyone in your life? Fuck. Ridiculous. Not And not knowing who's safe to drop that mask to? Yeah, so I feel like Bob's not not that well off either. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's at the very least going to have to hide who he is. He doesn't. He didn't seem like he On the had other hand, some kind of revelation that made him say, "Fuck it, I'm gay and I don't care." That other auto, maybe him and the other auto exec can bond and like keep watch each other's back. Eh, maybe. What do you mean by bond? I, I mean not like in this. I mean just like <laughs> you know have something that they can relate to and and watch each other's back, just like I said. That that exec did not seem to want to talk about it. Well, of course not. <laughs> because of all the punching and the judgment and the yeah, it probably was illegal at the time. I mean Sure, I don't I don't know that he's gonna open up to Bob, is what I'm saying. Eh, you know, I don't know. Maybe. Give it time. Uh any others were I mean, there's so many people like uh, Paul Kinsey. I mean, yeah, Duck, uh not okay. L- Lou Avery. Not okay. Like, <laughs> never okay. <laughs> Uh, Kinsey, not okay. Yeah, no. I never saw a Star Trek script, and I've seen like every Star Trek known to man. Not okay. No. All right, moving on. Matthew C. I just want to tell you there's nothing bad about a cactus as a gift. When Pete gave it to Pe- Peggy, all I felt was warmth. Here's a quote from the okay. book, The Power of One, to prove my point. And you know, I bet Matthew W. has read it, and he remembers it. Probably. The quote is, God has no quarrels, madam. The Almighty con- conceived the cactus plant. If God would choose a plant to represent him, I I think he would choose, of all plants, the cactus. The cactus has all the blessings he tried and mostly failed to give the man. Let me tell you how. It is a humility, but is not submissive. It grows where no other plant will grow. It does not complain when the sun bakes it back, or the wind tears it from the cliff, or drowns it in the dry sand of the desert, or when it's thirsty. When the rains come, it stores water for the long, hard times to come. In good times and in bad, it still flowers. It protects itself against danger, but harms no other plant. It adapts perfectly to almost any environment. It has patience and enjoys solitude. The cactus has properties that heals the wounds of men, and from it comes potions that can make man touch the face of God or stare into the very mouth of hell. It is the plant of patience and solitude, love and madness, ugliness and beauty, toughness and gentleness. Of all plants, surely God has made the cactus to his own lightning liking it as my enduring respect and is my passion this is the gift that pete just carelessly gave away to peggy all right what an asshole (laughs) i mean it's he's arguing it's a nice gift why is he an asshole (laughs) it's god's own cactus that it's god's own plan that's the best you can say it's a it's a it's a gift it's a good gift know what you're getting for christmas now well, buddy if you're if it's to be if god is to be believed then humans have squandered better gifts than a cactus <laughs> right debatable i don't know that everlasting life stuff mm. 
that seemed pretty good. Yeah, but we didn't have pants. <laughs> Who says pants are good? The sweat rolling down my ass cheeks in the summer. I did. Maybe, maybe if I wasn't wearing pants, I wouldn't have that. Exactly. I think that would still. I knowing me, it would still be sweaty. Just other people would see the. Well, we really kind of maybe we started on. sweating this... because of sin. I don't know, but <laughs> that's what I imagine. Sure, it started stinking too. Yeah, Michael C. From my wife, Denise, who usually writes in before, but for some reason did not. You got her back, Michael. That's important. She's the only person I've seen who seemed to notice that in the last scene with Joan, she's not. Whoa, whoa. She is wearing pants. She did learn from Eve. (laughs) She's got a suit instead of a dress. We cannot remember ever seeing Joan in pants before. And the pilot, Joan, was telling Peggy to dress more sexy and show her ankles to be successful at the firm. Mm -hmm. Now Joan has learned and accepted that she does not need a man to make her whole. She, quote-unquote, wears the pants and taken charge of her own future. To me, it seemed like a good representation of feminism. Joan was in a position where she could choose what she wanted. She wasn't forced into anything by her husband or societal pressures. That doesn't mean that she gets everything she wants, i.e. Richard, but the decision was hers to make. I like that. I it's do, too. a subtle but profound change in the character. Way to go, Denise. Now, uh, it could just be that she's at home, and she can wear pants at home, but... I mean, she's working out of her kitchen, okay, her dining true. room. Are but, pants more comfortable? Uh, I don't know. I don't wear dresses, so I couldn't tell you. But I imagine no. I imagine the uh, the freeing nature of the dress. Although she wears tight dresses. Millions so, of Scotsmen can't be wrong. You're right. There's got to be right. something to it. Uh, he also says, hands down, my favorite character is Pete. Even though I've seen... It way too many times. I still laugh out loud when he enters the elevator. Bob Benson asks how he is, and Pete yells, "Not great, Bob." <laughs> also, his compliment to Peggy was my favorite moment in the show. That's the one okay. in the last episode where he says, "People are going to brag about working with you yeah. one day." Right after the cactus. Yep. Right after he uh, he, he shrugs the gift <laughs> from God that is the cactus. Pete's got so many great moments. Pete is a. Pete is a fantastic character. He I is. feel like I have to argue this all the fucking time, but I love Pete's character. Um, I hate Pete as a human being, and it, <laughs> yeah, that that's is fair. that. And 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 you know what? I hope I hope he cleans up his act and finds happiness because, goddamn, Trudy deserves it. She is all that is woman. Should we move on? Yes, we should. Jasmine G says, "I surprised at your predictions for what would happen to Peggy and Joan. You both seem worried about how Peggy would fare at McCann and hopeful for Joan's future. My reaction was the exact opposite." Peggy's shown us that she can what she can accomplish against great adversity in her career several times over in seven seasons. The latest episode is no exception. When she realized she had lost an account, she immediately rectified the situation. She hasn't let McCann get to her yet, and judging by her attitude walking to the place and the way she handled that meeting, I don't think it will get her in the future. Plus, she has stand by her side, stands right about this one. Peggy will be successful at whatever she decides to do. Joan, on the other hand, a little worried about Joan. Yes, she started her own company, and it's all very exciting, but Joan has often crumbled in the face of her uh, overt sexism that she faces. Even her triumphant moment at McCann was a half crumble. I don't imagine her new business will bring her any shortage of sexism, and she hasn't shown to have much business acumen either. I'm not sure I agree with that one point. She's been the business office manager, action. and she's deftly handled clients and accounts before. So I don't know at that point. Yeah, I mean, but the other stuff. Well, let's, I, let, the, let, the other let, stuff I do mostly agree with. All right. Also, 
Uh, going to Peggy for partnership just reeks of bad instinct. It sounds exciting, but those two are hardly ever on the best of terms. They have conflicting personalities, and Joan should know that. Just look at who she's actually going into business with. Joan has no experience writing, and it appears that her teenage babysitter is her only employee. It also appears that she will be in close proximity to her mother from now on, which doesn't really bode well either. <laughs> I'm sure that they love each other, but Joan and her mother have never been best buds. In short, Joan's going into business she doesn't know at all with little or no staff and poor business instincts. Also entirely possible she ends up doing more coke. Things aren't looking up for Joni. Uh, that's bleak. Does it shift you to the not okay category for Joan? No, because I don't know that... I mean, does she need to be super successful in order to be happy with what she's doing? Like, yeah, maybe she doesn't get a bunch of movies made. Maybe her company doesn't really go anywhere, but is that going to make her unhappy? She does have a half million dollars, too. Yeah. So unless she plows every bit of that into a failing business, she's going to be okay. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Like, what's the worst case scenario here? She spends two years trying to get this off the ground. It never really goes off the ground. And she looks up Richard on the backside. Says, you know what? I'm ready to retire to the beach. Yeah. By the time my great adventure. He's found someone else. (laughs) If I was Richard. She's destitute. If I was Richard. Oh, no. no. My criteria for long-term relationship with another woman is Joan Harris knocks on my door, and I tell her, get the fuck out. Beat it. I'm Mm -hmm. with a better woman than you. Mm -hmm. How... How many percentage points of women in this world fit that category for you, Jim Jones? Uh, it's it's in the low single digits. Now, is Richard a smart <laughs> that smart of a guy? I don't know, hmm. but one would hope. Anyway, yeah, but I, I think her points on Peggy are Joan are right on or Peggy? No, Peggy. Okay, yes, agreed. Uh, she, you She's know, she has okay. definitely overcome a lot of adversity. Sure. And she shows no signs of stopping. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, Peggy. Peggy's going to be okay. Christopher J., who has a blog with his wife called KitchenWithAView.com, and he wrote an article on that called The Legacy of Mad Men, which is an interesting read. You should check it out. Hmm. Um, but he says, he's talking about favorite episodes. He says, my favorite episode is, of course, The Suitcase. But something that's rarely talked about and related to that episode is a connection between the great boxer Ali and Don Draper. I talked about the connection on my blog post, but here's a snippet of that. Being a fan of Muhammad Ali, I appreciate the parallels between the young boxer and Don Draper. Despite Don not being a fan of Ali, as he says about him, he's got a big mouth, I'm the greatest, not if you have to say it. There are similarities between the two. Don reinvented himself by obviously changing his name, such as the boxer did, doing away with his birth name Cassius Clay, then renaming himself as Muhammad Ali, both have a way with words which could captivate any room with their own brands of charm, and they are both infamous womanizers. Yet, Ali was the unappealing new face of a popular culture for John Don's generation. Even still, Defiance is part of Don Draper too, who we've seen over and over again doing what is best for himself while upsetting others around him in the agency. What's great about the historic moments of the show, whether it be the Kennedy assassination, the moon landing, or in this case of Ali versus Liston, the wiener always manages to find parallels between his fictional characters and historical figures of the time. I thought that was a good, good write-up. Yeah. Uh, good analysis of the uh, Ali versus Don angle there. Moving on, Jonathan W. ponders, Is Mad Men the greatest show of our time? Well, it's the only thing on TV which can show you a hot poolside babe, have you squint at your screen, 
Not to admire her body, but to try to catch the title of the book she's reading. <laughs> I've never hit freeze fame frame to see what brand of beer McDulty was drinking or what type of detergent the whites were using at the car wash. This is all true. The only other show that's better at that is Lost, but... Not as rewarding. Yeah, I can buy that. Like, I still don't know. I, I remember the feeling I got when I read a blog, because I was a big fan of Lost in the first two seasons, when I saw the blog post that said, the shark has a Dharma logo initiative on its tail. And I'm like, yeah. fuck yeah, it does. Fuck yeah, that shark <laughs> has got a logo on it. I mean, even just but the hatch. did it like, matter? Yeah. No, nah, Sure. That's the thing. That that show did not conclude as elegantly as Mad Men did. <laughs> now, you can say, does any of this shit matter? Did Dante's Inferno matter? Because I know, like, Dante's Inferno launched a million theories about yeah. what that meant, and most of them didn't come to fruition. But that never seemed to be the point of Mad Men. It's not plot-driven. It's feeling-driven. And these yeah. extra, even subconscious details, I think, served those purposes the way that Lost, maybe, it was more just intellectual masturbation. I don't know. Yeah, what you just said is going to factor into my determination of where this falls in the pantheon of golden age television. Oh, really? Yeah. You got a, or is, is that what we're going to say at the end of the podcast? I guess so. I almost forgot. We need to make yeah, a note of that. Oh, you don't have a note? Your job is to remember to not, to, to not forget. Okay. <laughs> to not forget that we need to talk about that. Uh, Ethan T, did any of you or either of you notice during the series finale that Don racing across the Bonneville salt flats felt out of place? I thought it looked awesome, but yeah, the close up face of him and the helmet and all yeah, that. Yeah, I question like how the fuck he got involved in this stuff. Sure. You know, it felt very weird. Well, my first reaction was that Don was doing his best speed racer impersonation. As a 20 year old who hasn't seen any of the comics nor the live action movie, this was a strange place for my brain to go. 20 year olds. What are 20 year olds? 20 year olds and 18 year olds watching this show? It's they're, they're they are forward thinking, <laughs> emotionally mature individuals who are ready to conquer the world, I would submit. Apparently so. Uh, but as you'll remember, Lou Avery's departure came with his giggles about how the studio had bought his comic was the same as the one that created Speed Racer. So what could all this mean? My interpretation is that while Lou was good at his job, he's always trying to be something he's not. Creating a comic hoping to be as popular as another, filling Don's shoes only to be ousted by him. Lou is the wannabe Scout's Honor, and Don is the real deal Speed Racer. Fuck you, Lou. I love it. Lou's gonna come back to McCann. He's gonna make an ad for Diet Coke. That's going to go over nowhere nearly as well. No. A great, tastes great, less filling is his ad campaign. No, that's I actually a successful it. one. Here's, here, okay. But not a successful Here's ad. Lou Avery's comeback and his crowning moment of glory. Uh-huh. New Coke. Oh, God. You're right. He You're finally right. gets totally a major Lou. account. It's uh-huh. New Coke, and it's the worst thing ever. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Adam X said, if or when Lionsgate makes a complete Mad Men series on Blu-ray or whatever format... I think it would be a good idea if they added one commercial where the former commercial breaks that were from... Oh, okay, okay. They added one in which you have commercials in the former commercial breaks on the DVD that are actually from the year that the current episode is portraying. Since it's a big part of the show is about American advertising, I think that would add to the fun, ambience, and nostalgia of the show. Not only should they show commercials that were popular and award-winning at the time, but ones that would be deemed politically incorrect in our day and age. Like my favorite politically incorrect commercial, the Flintstones for Winston cigarettes, which he actually includes a YouTube. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen that one. Uh, That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I love that. Like maybe not the full like three, four commercials, but one commercial in each Mm -hmm. break, and it's an optional thing that you can select from the menu. Mm -hmm. That would be tits. I agree. That'd also be a shit ton of work for some poor intern to do. Yeah, I mean you got to get rights to all those things, and it's gonna be a pain. That 
also. Although you, it'd probably be easy to get the rights to ads like the Coke commercial, less so to get something that's personally embarrassing to a brand. Yeah, I mean, politically incorrect stuff might be tough. I, I mean, just tracking down the people who own this stuff at this point might be difficult. Um, well, if the company, I don't know if the companies, I don't, I, yeah, I don't know how the like a Lucky property. Strike commercial is Lucky Strike still around? Are they still smoke. a company? Or they get bought out. I, I don't know. Yeah, so that, that's the kind of stuff you know that's you'd have to go do of, research yeah, exactly and, before you can even pay. But it is a fantastic idea. It Adam. is. I love it. Joseph V said, "I was wondering if the Bald Move Network is interested in starting a Kickstarter for a Mad Men spinoff called King Lear." It will go through the rise, the fall, and the rise again of Peter <laughs> oh, no. Dykeman Campbell as the Learjet corp, uh, corporate uh, titan. I love the name. I think it's a winner. I welcome all who want to partner up. All right. I, too, would love to see like a King Lear. I was joking with a listener through email today about like when is Matthew Weiner the whiner? God, I've, I've got my own jokes mixed up. When is Matthew mm-hmm. Weiner going to crack? and do advertising in the 80s. Like, 10 years from now, he's bored, he's got these accolades, he's done some successful movie projects, another successful television project. John Hamm's 10 years older. Elizabeth Moss. Moss, almost said Olsen, is 10 years older. All these people are 10 years older. Betty's dead. Mad Men, the next generation. Wait, wait, wait. January Jones is dead? Is that what you're saying? No, but Betty Okay, is. all right. Uh, cool. Who says no to Mad Men, the next generation? I think if he's smart, Matt Wiener does. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> like, there's no faster way to get pigeonholed. I'm just saying, 10 years from now, that's going to look like a really hot idea. And everyone will age beautifully for it. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see you how You want to see Don looking like Don Johnson? I mean, I didn't say I don't want to see it. Okay. I think it'd be cool. Roger's probably dead, too. That's a kind of a bummer. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if he's got another 10 years in him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, grimy little Mitch. Also, writes, there would be a lot of ads that I would remember, which would be cool. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I am a shot of eighties. That would be freaking awesome. Yeah. Uh, grimy little Mitch said, "I've always been fascinated by how Mad Men song selections tied so well to the theme of the episodes. I was wondering if you guys had any songs from Mad Men that really stood out to you. I could list a bunch, but the ones that immediately come to mind for me are Both Sides Now by Judy Collins from In uh, In Care of, where Don is showing his kids the house he grew up in. Uh." Roy Orbison's Sha da Broba <laughs> from Shut the Door and Have a Seat, where Don calls Betty from the hotel where they're starting their agency, and he finally agrees to go along with her plan for the divorce. A couple other gyms are Johnny Mathis's What I'll Do from Jet, Jet Set, Simon and Garfunkel's Bleecker Street from The Suitcase, and mm. Bob Dylan's Don't Think Twice, It's All Right from the season one finale. Uh, I thought Joni Mitchell was the both sides now one uh that's the the, the played at the end of 613 in care of which i actually think is fantastic that's probably my choice hmm. um there's something so yeah. bittersweet and sing song and sad about it and it goes so well with the looks don and sally were giving each other that's my choice do you have any not great really music selections I, mean, I know there were a bunch but i just don't remember necessarily how they they fit into the episodes the one that i the few that i do remember i mean obviously there's the recent ones like uh buddy holly is in there and i love that song uh and then they had a Beatles song that was like kind of a watershed moment for the series where Which one like, was that uh tomorrow never knows mm, right, it was right, right. like they 
from what I've read, they had to pay a lot of money for that. Yep, I remember that being controversial. Because the Beatles don't release their music for that kind of stuff. You know, no. for Apple commercials, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for Mad Men, yes. For Steve anything Jobs else. money. Yeah, apparently. Matthew Weiner money. It, so I definitely remember that one standing out. Um, but that's that's about it. All right. Maybe that's something else we can do. We can pick yeah. a song of the deck or a song of the year for each season of Mad Men too. Yeah. Sounds cool. Well, uh bittersweet moment uh again is this is the last of the regular season coverage of Mad Men. Uh we have another episode coming out with Tom Wilson and uh, talking about editing Mad Men. Uh mm-hmm. hopefully you guys will help us out and send that uh, your comments and questions at madmen@baldmove.com. That'll be out in the next week or two. Uh, but I would like to encourage you to guys, if you're big Mad Men fans, to keep subscribed to the feed and check out what we've got in June, July, and so forth as we do our season-by-season season recap coverage. Not recap. Yep. Uh, retrospective coverage yep. of, of that and how it fits in. I'm really excited to do that. Uh, I'm really excited to go back and revisit Mad Men. I hope you guys join us on that journey. Uh, if not, again, Ball nope. Move keeps... No, nope. what? What? Before, before we get out of here, man, you're trying to escape without answering this question. Oh, damn. I almost did it. <laughs> Mad Men, where does it fit into the golden age of television, and how does it rank? It's my personal favorite. It goes Mad Men. Okay, that was spoiled at the very beginning of the cast. It goes <laughs> Mad Men, The Wire, Breaking Bad for me. Wow, okay. See, I'm still Breaking Bad at the top. Now, it's 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 hard for me to differentiate between favorite and best. Sure. Like, if you ask me what's the best, I kind of want to say The Wire, if you ask me what's the most important, hmm. I kind of want to say The Wire. But if you ask me straight up what my favorite show is, it's Mad Men. Okay, interesting. So best, most important, and favorite. Yeah. I give you three different answers. Okay. I, I best, I give you Mad Men. Okay. Most important, I give you The Wire. Favorite, I give you Breaking Bad. Is that very defensible? Like, because Breaking Bad, it... It sucks. The entertainment level is just it's, off the charts. It stings my ass that I have to put it in third place. <laughs> yeah. But, not. I mean, Breaking Bad was super entertaining, and it did blow my mind occasionally, but nothing blew my mind as relentlessly as, as both Mad Men and The Wire. Um, and kind it's of a very different how, way. And um, changed how I think about a lot of different things in the world, too. Well, I think it's telling that some of my favorite episodes are the ones that are heavily plot driven in uh, mad men um because yeah. that's just the way i am you know i like i like to see a really good plot there ain't unfurl. nothing wrong with being the way you are jim and and you are going to be as far okay <laughs> i'm, I'm a okay uh as far as the plot goes i think breaking bad is a superior show to any of those shows uh the wire says more about society than any of the other shows uh and mad men is just like Week after week after week, it was consistently, consistently brought the thunder. You know, it I mean, was it, it never wavered in how good it was. I described it in one of our very first podcasts as relentlessly watchable, and that's what I think Mad Men is like. I think it's hard to watch it some sometimes, really, but that doesn't make it bad. I find that the hours always just flew by. Hmm. Like I, I feel always... that way about Breaking Bad. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, when we're talking at the tippy tippy type tip of the iceberg, it's you start to get some lines that are blurred between, you know, uh, Mad Men has some visceral thrills. Yeah, Breaking yeah. Bad had a lot more of them. Oh yeah, The Wire had a lot of them too. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Mad Men had mind blowing moments. I think Mad Men had more, and The Wire had more. Uh, tightly plotted. I mean, it's 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 really really it gets hard when you when you uh, carve things up. But if I'm talking about my personal favorite, this is Aaron's favorite. It mm-hmm. is definitely Mad Men. Okay. Now that's fair. You know, uh, got to get through another rewatch of Mad Men, and I need to do. Uh, I, I still have not yet done a complete high def rewatch of The Wire, but hmm. I it feels it, it's going to be hard because I always said Mad Men was the threat for the number one spot. It's the one after Breaking Bad concluded and and The Wire survived. It was the one that that I was currently watching had a chance to bump off the King. Yeah, you come out the King, you best not miss. And I think I think Matthew Weiner did enough in these these final two seasons to end it in a very oh just extremely satisfying. I was I felt yeah. so satisfied at the end of this final episode of Mad Men, and I honestly, without any kind of hate or shade thrown, feel very sorry for the people that feel raw about it because that just sucks, man. That just sucks. Sure, like, you invest so much time in the in Super it, Bowl. Then... You got one group of fans is going to be happy and one group is going to be just devastated. Yeah. I hate that Mad Men feels like a Super Bowl for people hmm. because it's nothing but joy for me. Yeah. No, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And the, you know, even though there was a lot of, uh, surprising flip flopping on characters near the end. Yeah. I didn't feel like any of it was unwarranted. Yeah. Um, they earned it with me and it just brought it all to a satisfying end. Yep. So I'll say this is it, but it's not. We still got at least eight more episodes to go spread out over the next seven to eight months. Um, yeah. I have no idea if this is going to be a successful project. I don't really give a shit. Uh, this is <laughs> something I want to do personally. And uh-huh. if I get on the mic and record for an hour or two at the end of the, for, for each season, then that's that's just a nice little side effect. So uh, if you'd like to get on in on that, again, madmen at baldmove.com. Follow along all of our stuff at baldmove.com and on facebook.com slash bald move and on Twitter. You can also get on our forums and discuss this stuff. And like, you know, I really love to get a forum discussion, like a, almost a book club style review of the seasons of, of Mad Men. I'll probably go start one right now hmm. um, for people to kind of compile and, and, and get stuff together. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's also another way for me to stave off saying goodbye to Mad Men. Yeah. I know. If I'm being brutally honest. That's a lot of this, this, yeah. this project. No, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. All right. Well, thanks everybody listening uh, for listening to not only this episode, but all of the episodes we've covered Mad Men in. Uh, really appreciate all your support, and we'll be back in the future. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you, everybody. <laughs> Thank you.